Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I have some time to teach today, and I'm glad we do because of the subject that I'm going to talk about. God started this, and I think God will finish what he starts. And last week, John was preaching, and the scripture that he kept referring to is that this is the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, you'll know that as we get transformed on the inside of us, it brings glory to him. It reflects God. The more we reflect God, the more glorified he is on the earth. This is the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. See, God can do more than one thing at a time. <laughs> Sometimes we have trouble doing that. We had a speaker come, and we, we heard some prophetic words from a very credible prophet about things that were to come. Now, actually, about 80% of them have come to pass. But some people were so upset because it didn't sound like their promise was going to come to pass. And I said, you know, can you please hold on to two things at the same time? <laughs> can you know that there could be darkness in the earth and, and, and people living in mobile homes and storms, but you can still get your promise and it'll come to pass? And so sometimes we need to hold on to two things at the same time. And so this is the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. But Jeremiah also says, and it's the scripture that God quickened to me this morning, and he said, for the hurt of the daughter of my people, I am hurt. For the hurt... Of the daughter of my people, I am hurt. God didn't say this. Jeremiah did. The prophet, he was hurt for the wounds, for the brokenness of his people. And he said, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician here? You know, God never asks a question, even through his prophets, that he doesn't have the answer to. And I will tell you that he came in the New Testament. He said, I am the great physician. And so for every issue in our lives, there's an answer. And it's always in him. We sang today, I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures, and my flaws. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to show you my weakness. I taught in Bogota, Colombia in 2007. I taught many different years. You know, there, there are people there that are not used to the freedom that we have. Depending, at that time, the political leaders who were in power was how much freedom the churches had. <laughs> Starting to be like that here, isn't it? <laughs> and so, as we begin to get used to our freedoms being changed one way or another or another, we need to remember something. There is always freedom in Jesus. And see, we're worried about the freedoms all around us, and we should be. But most of all, we need to be concerned about how free are we on the inside. And see, Moses told Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. God's still saying, let my people go. See, let my people go. He wants freedom for his people back then and right now. John 8, 32 says, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. In the book of Luke, speaking of the cult, Jesus said, loose him and let him go, for I have need of him. God has need of you. He has need of you to reflect his glory in the earth. And so he's still saying, loose him, let him go. I have need of them. 
He doesn't just want to use you to use you. He loves you. Because when you walk in freedom, it's not just so you can do stuff. It's so you know who you are in him. It's so you can be who you are. After a man or a woman accepts Jesus into their heart in the new birth, it's sad, but I've seen that many Christians still are not really as free as God wants them to be. Lazarus got raised from the dead. It was a miracle, no doubt. See, you get raised from the dead in the new birth. But when Lazarus came out, he still had on grave clothes. And the grave clothes needed to be removed for him to really be free. He was alive, but he wasn't free. And maybe he could walk with them on, but he couldn't run. (laughs) So there were limitations. And see, God not only wants to raise us up to life in the new birth, he wants to take off the grave clothes so that we can not just walk, but run and joyfully jump before him and sing his praises and rejoice. And so often what we need freedom from is old ways of dealing with things, old ways of reacting to things, ways of coping with things, ways that we used to use to dull the pain of things. But when pain comes, we still run there. Ways we hide certain things. Ways are structures built into our life, but ways that are not God's ways. Thoughts are formed in every one of us at an early age. Certain life experiences that some of us have gone through have formed a belief system in us. And even after we accept the Lord and believe on him, those beliefs exist in us alongside our new belief in Jesus. They're still there. Now, we believe Jesus, we put that on top, but they're still underneath somewhere. And what's underneath sometimes will pop up. Sometimes our thought patterns were formed by others' expectations of us, their desire for our life, their reinforcement of certain demands. And even when we come to God, we're in this performance mentality, and we think we have to do certain things or he's not pleased with us. A lot of ministers become a human doing (laughs) instead of a human being. And we have to be careful where we get our identity. It's not from what we do. It's not from what we do. When I was young in the Lord, God used me to speak and minister. A lot of emotional healing. I prophesied at meetings. I I would have the word of the Lord. And then for a time it wasn't. But it didn't change who I was. At times I Step back so that my daughters and sons could move in that. And I I was just in the background. It's not about what we do. It's just about if we're connected to him. And then we're satisfied. We don't need to do stuff to feel like we're okay. Some of our past might have included traumas, like emotional abuse, lack of love in the home, neglect rejection, sexual or physical abuse, verbal abuse, word curses. Sometimes there are generational bondages that run through family lines and you'll see them repeated over and over and what you hate you become. And God wants to give us instead generational blessings, (laughs) multi-generational blessings. 
So we somehow must break the cycles of bondage that the enemy puts in our lives and in our families and say, hey, it stops with me. It stops here. It stops now because this is the hour that the Son of Man wants to be glorified. And these things do not bring him glory. In Deuteronomy, he tells the Israelites, you've been at this mountain long enough. <laughs> and see, you can sit in church 35 years and love God, and work, but still, 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 still have these things on the inside of you. They're like grave clothes. And somebody can come into the Lord and, and be two years in the Lord, and, and they shake them all off, and they, de they determine. They go before God. They rip their heart bare. They say, search me and, and find me, O God. See if there be anything in me that you need to take out. And God takes them at their word, and he does it. And somebody else sits there, and, you know, they don't want to seem like they're not, not okay. Or sometimes they don't even know what's in them, but they haven't taken the time to pray that prayer or, or think that way. And, and, you know, in generations, there are different patterns. It was very in vogue some generations ago that you don't tell your problems. <laughs> don't let anybody know that anything's wrong. You might be fighting all the way there, but when you get to church, put on that smile and let them think you're the perfect family. See, God doesn't need perfection. He is perfection. He just needs realness. He needs us to take off our mask and, and strip ourselves bare and say, God, you do whatever you need to do, and I don't care how it has to happen. Cammie's not here today. She's in Victoria with her fiancé and her new family, and, and they, they go back and forth. They sort of alternate. But there was a time when she knew she needed something. She goes, but I don't want it to happen in front of anybody, and I don't want it. And she gave me a list of how it had to happen, and I'm like, oh, brother. I go, forget it. What do you mean forget it? I go, you just got to say, God, however you want to do this. You've been at this mountain long enough. They were stuck and they needed to move forward. So it's not enough that God brings us out of Egypt, which is a type of the world. He wants to bring us into the promised land and get Egypt out of us. <laughs> Sometimes the old ways of Egypt are still intertwined in our thinking. And we're in the promised land, but we're not living according to its protocols. So we're not receiving all the blessings that we were promised. The facts concerning events that have happened in our lives cannot be changed. But our response, the way we feel about unhealed hurts, unresolved issues, unmet needs, the way we react concerning them may have resulted in habits or defense mechanisms. And some of those might be self-protection I'm not going to let you get close to me. I was hurt when I did that. Self-reliance. I got it. I got this. I don't need anybody. Self-centeredness. Self-defense. Self-pity. Poor me. I'm a victim. Self-hatred. But notice all of them start with self. <laughs> a lot of self. <laughs> a lot of self. And these things cause feelings. Feelings. I minister a lot, used to. Now we try to just give a, a good, broad treatment of the things of the Bible. You can't get everything you need here on Sunday morning in a couple of hours. But I used to minister a lot in conferences on, on the subject of emotional healing. And it's interesting to me that because of last week, God told me, do this this week here. 
So maybe he's just on it. I don't know. But if he's on it, I'll be there. <laughs> and so we do have to deal with feelings. And God doesn't say feelings are wrong. He doesn't say, shove down your feelings, be stoic. I mean, I rejoice in worship. He, he uses compassion. He uses our tears. He uses our joy. He, he wants our emotions, though, to be clear so that the things of the Spirit can flow through them, so not that they're distorted and causing us trouble all the time and leading us. And so these issues in our life can cause feelings like fear, distrust, shame, insecurity, unforgiveness, negativity, bitterness, hopelessness, neediness, wrong desires, inferiority, lust, anger, confusion, resentment, pride, or unworthiness. Do you want anything in that list? <laughs> no. But yet sometimes we just settle. We've been at this mountain a long time, but it's been there a long time, and we just leave it alone because it seems too heavy to pick up. And it's easier just to pretend it doesn't exist. And so to take the edge off these feelings, sometimes these behaviors will be our result. Addictions, drugs, alcohol, medicine, food, sex, denial, victim mentalities, blame and projection, psychosomatic illnesses, rebellion, legalism, wrong relationships, performance mentality, unforgiveness, anger, control, and manipulation. I mean, it just sounds like a list of sin. <laughs> but see, we don't think it's sin because it's just our reaction, and we practically feel like we can't help it. It's involuntary. It's just where we go. And when you are confronted on these issues, if a stronghold exists, now hear me now, hear me now, hear me now. If a stronghold exists, you will use logic, reasoning, arguments, justification, and denial. And you will be mad at the person who confronts you. Because you don't want them messing with it. And it feels like they are the enemy of your stronghold. And you're going to have to lose your hold. And you don't want to lose it because you don't know what that's going to mean or what you're going to look like or where you're going to end up. But you got to trust God. In a 60-minute counseling session, if in the last 10 minutes I put my finger on the root that I think God is saying, I have had people, man, it's like amazing how fast they can go through anger, projection, self-pity, blame. Like, man, they could run through the gamut of those things. Boom, boom, boom. I'm like, what, did you practice this? But see, there's something in us that's, that wants to protect. The enemy doesn't want that wall down because he doesn't want God getting back there. And he, will, he, the enemy, will use our emotions. The enemy will use our words. The enemy will use our feelings to do anything to keep deliverance out. Because really, you don't want to be messed with. You don't want to think there's a weakness. You don't want to say You've got a problem because sometimes it becomes so, so much a part of you, you think it is you. So if we say you've got a problem, you think somebody's saying you are a problem. No. <laughs> You're okay, but it's not. And sometimes we need to be able to separate it, but it's like Play-Dohs in your life. You know that you, you take four colors and you mix them all together and try to separate them. It's been in your life so long you feel like it can't be separated, but God can do what you cannot do. God can finish what he starts. you got to let him start. And so you don't know how to separate the behavior, the feeling, the reaction from the real you. 
You've been doing it so long, you feel like it defines you, but it doesn't define you. The word of God defines you. The word of God defines you. That is the essence of Christianity. The real you. How God originally intended you to be before the damage was done in your heart, before that thing happened to you, before you let those things get a grip on you, before those ugly words were spoken to you, before the disappointment came and you didn't know how to deal with it, so you dealt with it the wrong way and you got mad at God and mad at them and you've never let the mad go away. Words are important. Matthew 15, 11 says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, it's what comes out of the mouth. What comes out of the mouth of another man can defile me if I let it. If I'm not realizing what's happening and I'm not on guard, children are not on guard. Many things said and done to little children are very damaging because the children are not on guard. Even as a Christian, there are times when I didn't know what was wrong with me. I just felt down and out and like I had, I had lethargy and, 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 it, and God would go, he'd show me, he goes, remember this started? Remember when they said that to you? And I'm like, whoa. And I shook those words off and I became me again. So sometimes words that come out of someone else's mouth and defile me. See, now it's like I've got this radar thing up. It's like you can tell me I'm no good, I'm, and I'm like, I wonder what's wrong with you. <laughs> I wonder why you're doing that, and I'm worried about you. But I don't let it affect me. I, I hope I can stay that way. Words that have been spoken to you, critical words, negative words, words of blame and accusation, condemning words, hateful words, harsh words, some of those words became like seeds. You don't see them. They're little. But they planted in your heart, and years later, you are still tasting the fruit of them. And Jesus says in Matthew 15, 13, let every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted be uprooted. And there's some things that he didn't plant. And you got to give him permission to uproot him. But when God starts doing the uprooting, we feel the tugging. And when we feel the tugging, we get nervous. <laughs> and when we get nervous, we start resisting. And God says, I'm trying to finish what I started and you're not letting me. And God wants to come with power and free us from the enemies of our soul. But it's not just enough to wait for a power encounter. The power of God, if you were here last week, midway through his sermon, I started feeling pain in my heart. God hasn't used me exactly that way in a long time, but I mean, it was so strong, I could hardly bear it. And it wasn't my pain. It was that burden bearer pain where you, 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 you get in touch with the hurts of others. And I felt like the hurt in the room was so deep. And I, and I go, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And at the end, the power of God was on me so strong, I felt like a crazy person. And some of you might have thought I looked like a crazy person, but it was like, man, it was coming in waves at me. And, and I've, I've been in meetings before where you can pray with people, and, and the power of God comes, and, and it's like, boom, something happens. But, you know, sometimes before we need a power encounter, we need a truth encounter. Because if we only have a power encounter and we don't have a truth encounter, sometimes we can't hold on to what happened in that moment. But he will not do either of them without your permission. And the truth is, until you hate what God hates and love what God loves, until God's enemies become your enemies and you begin to fight the things that God is fighting, you will not have real victory. Now, he doesn't hate you, but he hates the things that are against you. He hates the things that the enemy planted. He loves you. 
And see, you've got to be so secure in his love that no tugging, no sense of shame, no sense of failure can make you pull back from his hand. From his hand. Why would I be afraid of his hand? He loves me. He created me. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's no good thing that he'll withhold from me. We have a high priest that's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. <laughs> he feels your pain. He doesn't want you to live in pain. No matter how well, how good you are at hiding it. Jeremiah, the hurts of my people, you have healed slightly. He says, slightly is not good enough. Some of it has been healed slightly. It's not as bad as it used to be. It's not as bad as it used to be. But it's not where it should be. And God wants to finish what he started. Slightly is not enough. Many years ago, I declared war on soul trouble. But you know what? The battle still rages because in every person, the enemy is constantly trying to put trouble in our soul. What is the soul? The mind, the will, the emotions, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He wants to come into your mind, your will, your emotions, make you every bit whole so that you can serve him with your whole heart. See, not just your spirit man on one side, but your soul tugging against it. So if we can get the trouble out of our soul, then the physical part of man, our body, the, the supernatural part of man, our spirit, can be brought into much more harmony with the principles and promises of God. The soul is the container for that which is spirit, just like the body is the container for the soul. Things in the soul affect how you perceive the word of God, how you even perceive God himself. I didn't even know it, but I thought God would love me if I did everything right, because in a subconscious way that I didn't even know as a little girl or a teenager until God revealed it to me when I was in my 30s. I always felt my daddy would love me if I did everything right. So what was in my soul transferred over into my Christian walk and made me feel that way even about God. Sometimes things in our soul affect very much how we perceive others and their dealings with us. Somebody comes to try to tell us the truth and we just think they're ripping us apart. Somebody's just not in a great mood that day, but we take it as this personal slight and we just can't get over it for months. See, if, if our soul's not clear, there can be a lot of distortion in the conclusions we draw. God never intended for us to operate in disunity, body, soul, and spirit. He didn't intend for there to be this tug-of-war between the born-again spirit and the unrenewed mind, will, and emotions because they need to be restored to wholeness. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. You know, once I told God, God, take my life, use it for your glory, and he can use a victorious, overcoming, strong in the power of his might, spirit-talking, faith-walking, sword-carrying Christian a whole lot more than a downtrodden, defeated, confused, devil-tormented, oppressed one. <laughs> Just makes sense. 
Now, he'll use any old jackass if he has to, but like he did in the Bible. (laughs) But see, if there's not a lot of you getting in the way, it's a lot easier for a lot more of him to come through. And if there's not a lot of the old you getting in the way, you're going to lead a much happier life. So it's not just about others, even though it's about others. It's also about you. He loves you. He doesn't just want to fix you so you can do stuff. God wants us, you know, we used to say this all the time. Alan told me a few, maybe it's back in. You know, whatever's out comes back in. We used to use the word radical all the time. Everything in our Generation Jesus stuff, what, 25 years ago, the, rad, the word radical was in it five times. And then a few years back, he goes, people don't say radical anymore. But, you know, they probably say it again now. I find that if I keep my clothes long enough, they come back around. But anyway, <laughs> I just keep wearing them. All right, sort of like the Israelites, they don't wear out. But, you know, um, God wants us to be radical for him. He wants to get us where we need to be. And so sometimes he needs to do radical surgery in our inner man to get some stuff out, to get to the root of the problem. Matthew 3.10, he wants to lay an ax to the root of every tree he's not planted because he cares about your pain. He loves you. He wants you healed. He wants you restored. We have a high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But if he knows those feelings are hindering us from walking in truth and freedom, he must help get those feelings out of us. Well, doesn't he care about my feelings? Well, he cares enough to get them out if they're wrong ones. <laughs> he doesn't want you being burdened with these wrong feelings all the time and going, but she said God cared about my feelings so I can feel offended and I can feel this unforgiveness. I, I feel it, but God says, you know, <laughs> until the feeling's out of you, you're going you're gonna to reap the bad consequences of it. And so he will provide a time in which we will allow him to bear our grief and carry our sorrows. Give it to him. The Bible says, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. That word cast is not like here. It's like a fisherman takes a line and he casts it across the water. Sometimes those feelings want to hold on to you and you got to throw them, throw them hard, throw them far, get them far away from you and decide you're not going to have anything to do with them anymore. Because they'll try to leech onto you and suck the life out of you. Someone said, the scripture said, we walk by faith, not by feelings. No, it doesn't say that. (laughs) We walk by faith, not by sight. But see, here's the deal about feelings. How you feel does not change the truth. But unless the truth changes the way you feel, you are not going to experience the truth. And God wants you to walk in truth concerning yourself, concerning others, concerning his word, concerning him, concerning everything having to do with you. He wants you to walk in truth. Who wants to walk in deception? Nobody. But who's walking in deception? A lot of us. And sometimes it's in one area, and sometimes it's in two, and sometimes it's in more than that. And so depending on how much deception is in your life is how much victory you have. I don't mean circumstantial victory. I mean inner victory. See, because you'll hear about freedom, joy, peace at church, but it won't be experienced fully as a reality in your life if things from the past are submerged under the surface in your soul in foundational areas of your thought life. Because they're always causing reactions on your part. Instead of you being able to freely act, 
obey and experience the word of God. So it can be like balloons that are submerged underwater. You know, you can keep them under a lot of the time. You can hold them down. You can keep people from seeing them. But every once in a while, you get so tiring or you get under so much pressure or something pushes your button and all of a sudden they pop up. And you go, whoa, that looked bad. I, well, that was, I, I push it down again. No, God doesn't want you to keep pushing it down. He wants to get it out. Whole different transaction. So God will bring up something from the past, not so we can relive the hurt, but to free us from it so that the experiences of the past do not dictate what you're doing, how you're living in your present day life. He wants to get it out of you. So the real tragedy of hurtful memories is not the pain from the past that we feel from them or the powerful push from the past that they stir up in us, but it's that because of the pain in the past, we have learned wrong ways of coping with life, wrong ways of relating to people, and these wrong ways have become the basis of what we call our personality. I'm just super sensitive. <laughs> really? <laughs> God wants you sensitive to the spirit, but not super sensitive so that everything everybody says offends you. Super sensitive is code for I'm offended easily. <laughs> I just find that people just don't treat me right. Really? You walk in unforgiveness, right? <laughs> See, let's call it what it is. And let's love what God loves, the, the, the truth and the freedom, but hate what he hates. But we find it hard to hate that because we feel it's our personality. And we don't want to hate our personality because we already, already feel like we're not loved anyway. And it's this cycle that goes on and on. And God wants to break the cycle. Jesus said, some of your thoughts are not my thoughts. You know, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your. Some of your thoughts, people in the church, are not my thoughts. Some of your ways are not my ways. So let's get the old ways out. And to do it, we're going to go to the root. So certain areas of our life need spe special healing by the Holy Spirit. Isn't it good that you don't have to do it all? <laughs> Actually, there needs to be an unlearning of past wrong programming and a releasing of past hurts, a healing of past injuries, a touch from Jesus with power once we receive the truth. And then there can be a reprogramming, a renewing of the mind according to God's word. And people will go, who is this coming out of the wilderness leaning on the arm of her beloved? This isn't how they used to act. But it's how God really created you before all that damage caused you to act that other way. God loves you. He created you. He wants you to be able to operate the way he really made you, the real you. I'm going to take a minute, and I'm going to read. I tell the preaching team, please don't read from a book, but I'm going to read from a book. I'm going to break all the rules today. John recommended this book to me. It's by Dutch Sheets, The Pleasure of His Company. The Pleasure of His Company. Dutch Sheets uh, is an author. You know, Bibi, you love his prayer, you know, uh, 15 minutes of prayer that he does. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's been a pastor. He's written a, a lot of books. He taught at Christ for the Nations for a time. But, you know, there was a time when he was a student at Christ for the Nations in 1977. We weren't always all this exact same age. We have history. <laughs> and so in 1970, he grew up, you know, in a, a Christian home. 
He said he knew the Bible better than all of his friends. His daddy was a pastor. You know, they lived, ate, and, you know, soaked in the Bible. His identity was wrapped up really in his dad, but I can't remember how old he was. His dad left his mom, divorced his mom, went and married another woman. It just shattered his heart. And he said it just tore his world apart. It made him very confused. He still loved God, but it just it, it left some things there that he didn't know how to deal with. And he said since his identity was wrapped up in his dad and what his dad did, and now his dad was gone and his dad had done this thing that was so crazy and so unexpected, he, he started to compensate in other ways to make himself feel better about himself. And he said, I wasn't really a good athlete, but I worked hard at it. He said, I was the starting quarterback for three years, not because I was talented, because I worked so hard at it, because I wanted people to think I was okay. And he said, so time went on, and I thought I was okay. My success in sports, along with my popularity and the subconscious coping mechanisms I built into my personality, kept me from realizing how very insecure I was. Our souls can look very different on the outside than they actually are inwardly. We can even fool ourselves, creating what have come to be called blind spots. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know what God asks? And I'm telling you, we can be in a place where we don't know our own heart. I remember I was there. And I kept getting these prophetic words from people back in the late 70s and the, the very early 80s. And it was like, there's a hurt deep in your heart. And I'm like, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm not crying like all those women all the time. I don't know what you're talking about. But then it came again. And I thought, maybe I better ask God about this. And as I asked him and gave him permission, he began to show me hurt deep in my heart that was submerged so deeply, I didn't know it was there. But he loved me so much, he wasn't content to leave it there. That's our God. When I became a student, Dutch Sheet says, at Christ for the Nations in 1977, through my spending time with him, the Lord began identifying my inward condition to me. I had some intense jealousy I felt toward another student because he was really popular and was full of gifts. And for several days, I denied that I felt that way, thinking I was pushing them away. I was actually just pushing them down. <laughs> I just wanted to hide them a little better. But like a rubber ball in a swimming pool, the jealousy kept popping back up. What I didn't want to admit, because I was a strong Christian, was that these feelings originated from within me. They weren't some outward thing. They weren't the devil. They were in me. My deep camouflage insecurities were reacting to someone else's success. And I had no football game to offset my insecurity. The Holy Spirit began speaking to me about this, challenging me to acknowledge that the jealousy existed within me. It was in me. I argued with these thoughts, thinking that they were the voice of the enemy. Not the Holy Spirit, but God persisted and eventually prevailed. I could no longer deny it, but I sure didn't know how to evict it. How do you get out what's in you? How do you get it out? To most people, the fact that they experience a little jealousy is not such a big deal as it was to me. And he goes on and tells about how he performed for years for acceptance. But one day, finally, God got through to me and I said, okay, God, I'm jealous. I have issues. He says, God probably smiled 
But I did hear God say this. I am not upset and I am not disappointed with you that this weakness exists. I know how it got there and I know you had no control over the process. I just want to help you get rid of it. What did we see? I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Oh God, let people know your love for them. You know, when God begins to do a thing, we can get it so wrong. I wasn't going to talk about this, but I'm going to go there for a moment and then go back to this book. But, you know, in the temple, if you read the Old Testament, the Levitical law was that if you were imperfect, if you had a defect, they called it a defect, you couldn't enter the temple. You couldn't be in there with a maimed leg or a crippled arm. You couldn't be there with a blind eye. You, were, you had a defect. So you couldn't approach the throne of God. And so remember that story. I don't have it right here with me, but remember the story of the man with the withered hand? And he went into the temple, and so he's sort of holding it behind him, I'm sure, because he didn't want anybody to see his defect. That's us. That's us. I look good, don't I? But you can't see this, you know? And wasn't it, wasn't it like Jesus? <laughs> he's, he, you know? Probably the man thought, why? Why does he have to do this to me? Because Jesus says, stretch forth your hand. Whoa, you're going to make me show it? Why would you do that to me? The thing that I really don't want to happen, you want me to expose it. Yes, because once the man exposed it, God healed it. Jesus healed it. Let every hidden thing be exposed. Let everything in darkness come to light. That needs to be your prayer. It was mine. That's what got me free. Not wanting to hide. Not wanting to pretend. This isn't a pretend Christianity. It's supposed to be the real deal. But the time, the hour is that the Son of Man should be glorified. But unless we're the real deal, the world can spot hypocrisy in a second. And the weaknesses you don't see, they'll be very in touch with. God says, I just want to get rid of it. I knew this was the Holy Spirit speaking to me, and I was shocked that he wasn't angry or disappointed with me. From that moment, my perception of God began to change. My whole world began to change. God started becoming my father, not just my God. In the ensuing days, I began to trust his heart. He started focusing on the cause, not just the effect. Jealousy was just a symptom. Deep insecurities were the root. Again, I resisted somewhat. I'm not insecure, I thought. I'm outgoing, I'm popular, I'm friendly. You know, I'm going to keep saying it. If I say it enough, it'll be. But the Holy Spirit said, no. You manipulate relationships to be in control. You act a certain way to hide your insecurity. When you're engaged in a conversation, you're not listening to the other person. You're thinking about what you should say next so you'll appear intelligent or funny or, 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 or um, interesting. You're posturing. You're performing for acceptance, even with me. If you don't allow me to heal this in you, one day it will cost you your destiny. John preaches on destiny a lot. I had this little post from 2015. I shared it again. You know how it pops up and you can say it again. <laughs> you can say it again <laughs> and again. But it said, life is not to be littered 
with the empty bags of undone things. Whatever he says to you, do it. Because see, really our destinies are what will make us fulfilled. You know, if God's called you to be a wealthy businessman and you try to be a missionary, John has said before, it's not, it's not going to fulfill you. It might look good to the world, but it won't fulfill you. But if you're called to be a missionary and you become a wealthy businessman, that won't fulfill you either. The vice versa. Doing what God has for you will bring you the most fulfillment. Everything that God has told me to do that I didn't want to do actually has been the happiest thing in my life. <laughs> he said, I'm sending young people. I go, no, please don't send them my way. <laughs> that was the greatest joy of my life to raise up young people for ministry. But I didn't know it. There's things about you you don't know. You don't know some things in your heart. You don't know some things God has for you that will bring you great joy. And God loves us so much that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And it is time for us to give him permission to go to the deep places in our heart and get the roots out. Because if the roots are gone, there's no fruit. This freeze recently... Oh, we did things, we did things, we did things to protect. John and I worked hours. Uh, I, I hired some yard men for a while. Then John came over and go, let's do more. I bought blankets. I had, my, my bushes looked like they were protected with surgical precision. They were green shapes that were sculptural. They were so pretty. Not a bit of air could get inside. John made sure of that. We had clothespins. I thought he was going to ask for needle and thread, but. There was no limit. It went, there was this one yucca. We got out boards, and we were going to build like a little house around it. That's what we do. We protect our junk. We're going to build a house around it. <laughs> Nobody can get in. We've locked the door. Nobody's going to see this. But the cold came, and all of our efforts were in vain because the blankets are good for maybe a light frost but not a deep freeze. <laughs> but what's funny is when the... The men who know landscaping came after it was all over and we pulled all the covers off. We Sometimes we need to pull the covers off to see what we got. They looked, and they could tell if things were dead by the root or not. And if it wasn't dead by the root, it'll spring up again. It'll live. Now, with landscaping, I want that. But with the junk in your heart, we don't want that. And so some of these things we need to quit dealing with surface behaviors and just try to look good in front of people, and then you know, but it still pops out of us. We need to go, God, come on, let's do the radical thing. Go to the root. I'm ready because you are the great physician. I trust your surgical skill. I am not afraid of you. I know you love me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and this is not how you made me. This is what happened to me because of living in this world. But, God, you want to come in, and you want to take the effects out, and you want to restore my soul. And I'm saying that if we want to move God has promised revival. But in the middle of revival, people are watching. New babies, new Christians are watching. People every day are watching. The kids are watching. We don't want mixture coming out of us. We want what coming out of us to be all that God is, all that God has, all that God wants. And so our prayer needs to be, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. I'm going to end with this, page 203, Dutch Sheets book. The psalmist David learned to trust God. Search me, he said, and know my heart. Same scripture. 
try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. But the word hurtful here is from the Hebrew word otseb, meaning pain, whether mental or bodily, sorrow or a harmful habit. David was saying, I don't know myself as well as I think I do. Maybe you better take a look inside and check things out. See if my heart has any blockages, any valve problems. Analyze my soul. Show me my blind spots. Look into my emotions and reveal any buried pain, any unhealed wounds. Perhaps I've lived with them so long I have learned to compensate, mistaking coping mechanisms for true health. I believe, Lord, that you will lead me out of any problems you find and into your wonderful ways of healing. Stand to your feet with me. Lord, that's our prayer. That's our prayer, God. We come to you. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture. And you say in your psalm that you will restore our soul. So we know that you're not a man that you would lie. and You're not the son of man that you would repent. But Lord, we trust you and we take you at your word. We know that the words of people, the words of maybe authorities, the words of parents, the words of leaders, the words of many others have hurt us. But God, your words never hurt us. They bring us life. And so, God, we are trusting that you will search our souls. We give you permission today. We say go to the root of everything that's in us that you have not planted and lead us in the way everlasting. And that is a way of truth. That is a way of no grave clothes. That is a way that we can run to your arms and get the love that we need, that, there's, that we're not going to lack in any way. And so, Father, we just thank you, Lord. We give you permission to glorify the Son of Man in this hour by making us more and more and more in your image, the real us that you originally intended us to be. If you believe that, if you pray that, if that's what you want, say amen with me. Amen.